Come on over here. Have a seat. Jacob is really, really terrified right now. <laughs> Grab that. <clears throat> How are you, Jacob? Good. Now we're all terrified. Uh, what grade are you in, Jacob? Eighth. Eighth grade. It's a big year. Graduation coming up. And what, you're going to go to ACA next year? Yeah. I think your dad would get in trouble if you didn't go to ACA next year. Uh, so, uh, eighth grade year has been good. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for you. What is the, who, who cooks in your house? Mom or dad? Mom. Mom cooks the most. All right. I, Laura is trembling right now. Uh, so what's your favorite meal that your mom cooks? Um, <laughs> does she? I don't know. <laughs> So, like, what did you have? What, what meal did you have this week that you remember? Hot dogs. You had hot dogs. <laughs> that was one of the running around nights for the Whitfleet family. They had a lot of places to go. Uh, does she, like, make special fixings for hot dogs or just hot dogs, ketchup, and mustard? Uh, just hot dogs. Just hot dogs. Okay. But it, was there anything else? Just hot dogs? Um, not really. Not really. Okay. I'm wondering why you're so skinny. Now I know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so um, what's your favorite restaurant to go to? In-N-Out. You like to go In-N-Out. That's, that's good. God's actually, I think that's God's restaurant. He blesses us with that. And uh, do you go there with your family? Oh, uh, yeah. And when you go, what, what do you order? A burger. You order just cheeseburger or a straight yeah. hamburger? What do, you get on your, what do you get on your cheeseburger? Uh, just cheese. Just cheese. So meat, cheese, and bun? Yeah. That's like Cameron, my daughter. She does the same thing. Do you like it better than hot dogs? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jacob. That's, that's, that, I appreciate that. Good job. Let's give uh, a round of applause for Jacob. <laughs> Jacob and I just sitting at a table together talking. It's much easier for us to have conversations like that. I could invite Jacob into my office and he could sit. And if you've ever been to my office, I have a big desk, chairs, two chairs on one side of my desk. I sit on the other. And I have a feeling that if I were to invite Jacob into my office, he would be even more intimidated than he was up here. Because around the table, there's a level of informality and conversation that um, blesses us to talk about um, life and meaningful things. We find out that, um, that Jacob had hot dogs this week because it's an easy conversation. This is an easy place and all of us spend time here, right? I mean, any of us have spent time around a table probably in the last 24 hours. Yeah, maybe your table was in a restaurant. Maybe your table was in your kitchen. Maybe your table was on your patio. But this is a very easy place for us to be in conversation. It's a holy place. For the next seven weeks, that's our focus, is talking about the holy place of the table and the table. We are going to be celebrating the sacrament of communion for the next seven weeks, beginning today, and learning more about what, oh, I'm sorry, I totally forgot to dismiss the kids. My bad. Go be blessed, kids. Go have a good time in children's ministry. Your parents were freaked out because they thought they were going to have you for another half hour, and that wasn't going to go well. 
my fault. But God does something here at the table, which is extraordinary. And we want to learn about that. We want to grow into that and grow in our understanding of that. And so we're going to be focusing on that. The title of the series is As You Are. And it's all about what goes on at the table. And then out of that, how do we invite others into his presence at our tables, which is something that I just did right here. I want you to really quickly pull out of your worship folder a paper that looks something like this. This is something we want to highlight and encourage you into coming out of your Sunday worship time is to think about your tables and where you dine, how you dine, the sort of things that happen around your tables, whether they be tables in Panera or tables in your, you know, your eating area or your kitchen, um, how you think about that place and who is there. We welcome God's presence into those times, and the question becomes, who else do we in welcome into that presence? Now, you see a challenge here. If you turn over the paper on the back is the river table challenge. And we understand that there are many of you who are going to be in eating a lot of meals by yourself. Some of you, that's your normal you're, you live alone, you're in your own home or in your own apartment or whatever, and you eat by yourself. How do you welcome God's presence into those alone times? How do you see that as a holy place? So you can fill out this sort of, uh, this, this, uh, the back here with that in mind. How do I think about these things? What is my experience um, with God's presence around my table? But we also want to challenge you to think about who else you can invite to be at your table. Now, maybe you have meetings going on. I don't know about you, but I have several meetings a week often that are around meals that I'll meet somebody for Panera or or coffee or something like that. And how do I welcome God's presence into that? How do I think about that? There's some questions that can guide you through a conversation or guide you through thinking about God's presence in those conversations. If you fill three of these out. So have sort of those sorts, that sort of intentionality, three different times, three different contexts, then fill these out and bring them into the office. If you fill them out three times, then we got, we just simply have a t-shirt for you that sort of reminds you of this series and change your oil, go painting, whatever you're going to do in it. But at the very least, we want to recognize that you have intentionally invited people into God's presence. And it can be people that you already know. It can be your family. It can be coworkers. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's a person you haven't connected with for a long time. There's lots of different options here. We're actually going to be giving you some particular options in the days and the weeks ahead um, that we want to challenge you with. But we want to encourage you. Think about the table and think about your table. Think about God's presence around your table and how we can grow into acknowledging God's presence in um, these contexts and in this context as well. As we come to God's word, let's pray for his blessing on our time. Father, we ask that you do. Um, we know that you're here. We simply welcome you. We acknowledge that you're present. Now come and change us. We come from a lot of different places in life. We come with joy. We come having fullness 
We come having more than enough. Some come with stress and challenges. There's work things, there's home things, there's a relationship things that almost consume our minds so much we can't even hear anything else. There's some come who come with fear, with real doubt that you're real. Some come with questions. Some come with great sadness and burdens this morning. Father, wherever we are, meet us. Through your power, come fill us with your presence. May we acknowledge your presence in a way, Lord, that we experience your love and its transformation in our hearts and our lives. We can go from this place encouraged, energized, empowered with your hope, love, and grace. We might go share it with the world that we live in. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do through the Holy Spirit and because of the work of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Almost all of you, I'm sure, have received an invitation. Maybe it's an invitation for a wedding. Uh, Usually, Kristen and I will have an invitation or two that's on our, our refrigerator for an upcoming wedding or some sort of celebration or party. Um, Because I'm a pastor, obviously, I get invited to weddings. They don't really want me there. They sort of need me there for those. So, you know, okay, I still get the invitation. Um, But then, uh, like not long ago, what Walt turned like 45 years old. Walt DeBlau turned 45 years old. We had that invitation and we we had it on our refrigerator. Um, because uh, we wanted to go and celebrate Walt's birthday with he and his family. And so you get that invitation. Maybe you got an invitation on your, um, uh, on your refrigerator right now for upcoming graduations, like Jacob's graduation, maybe, maybe uh, a college graduation. We got a college graduate coming up, and I don't know if we're sending out invitations. I'm not a part of those conversations in my family. I just sort of do what I'm told on that sort of stuff. But Almost every invitation that we receive has some certain components, right? I mean, we know the date and the time. If it's not date and time on there, then it's like, what are we invited to? How are we supposed to get there? Uh, we, get, we know what sort of event we're invited to. We know who's putting on the event. We know uh, sort of what, what, what's going to happen when we get there. Sometimes it will say dinner included or appetizers or something like that. But each invitation has some very similar components. Over this series of seven weeks, we want to talk through the components of the invitation that we receive to come to Christ's table. This is an invitation. You and I are presented with the invitation. How do we receive that? And what information do we glean from that invitation? What is this about? Today, we want to talk about who gives us the invitation. God as our host. God is the one who extends to us the come, take, eat, drink, come, be a part of this. Who is God as our host? Now, in order for us to think about how we celebrate this now, this is, in essence, a New Testament celebration of communion, but this is not where it begins. 
Communion itself begins, actually it has its roots back way far back in the history of people, in the people of Israel, in the book of Exodus. And this morning we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12, first 22 verses. We're probably going to look more about the first 14 verses. And here we see the roots of communion, the roots of the table. If you remember, um, Oftentimes when we do have communion, I will talk about how the night that Christ was betrayed um, and he celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, that supper was that special supper called the Passover. And out of the Passover, then we get this type of celebration. Well, let's understand that Passover celebration a little bit more, a little bit better, so that we gain more understanding about this. Passover comes from Exodus. It comes from a very difficult time in the life of Israel. Many of you know the story. Some of you may not. But Israel, the Jews, God's people, are enslaved by the Egyptians. These are um, people who are experiencing beatings. They're experiencing uh, oppression. They have no power. They have no place in society. They are slaves to the Egyptians' whims. Now, that wasn't always the case. Before you had Joseph, Joseph had place and position in Egypt, but he's long gone, and in that time, they've become enslaved. And God hears the prayers of his people, save us from our slavery. So God sends Moses. And you know the story that there's all this sort of tension and conflict between Moses and Pharaoh. And it it results in a whole bunch of plagues, 12 plagues that God sends. There's lots of different plagues that happen, right? Frogs, there's locusts, there's gnats, there's hail, there's fire from heaven, there's Nile turning into the river of blood. The Passover centers around the 12th plague. Tenth plague, sorry. I actually slept inside a house for the second time last night in a week and a half, so my brain isn't quite where we're moving and all that stuff. Anyway, tenth plague. Thank you, Miriam. Miriam can always be counted on for that. Tenth plague. In the tenth plague, God's going to kill. Sends the angel of death. And he's going to kill whoever doesn't come to the table. And he gives instructions to his people on how to come to his table. And if they don't come to the table, then they're going to die. Or at least their firstborn is. That's the background for this story of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. If you would turn with me there. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be... For you, the first month, the first month of your year, tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with with what each person will eat. Now I want to stop there. I want to stop there because there's this this thing that God does to offer his event and his celebration 
to his people. He gives them instruction and he says, go and get a lamb. But he doesn't just limit it to that. He says, make sure that others who do not have a lamb will have a lamb. God is making provision. He's setting the table for his people. He's making sure that anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of his event of Passover, who wants to, sell, who wants to be saved, can do so. He's setting the table. Now, what's really interesting, and this became clear to me this week, is God is setting the table really with three elements. There's four different things actually mentioned. <clears throat> that was bad. I knew it was coming for the last two minutes. God, or in the teaching on the Passover, we hear about four different things, but really there's, there's three elements. What do we get? We get the, what, what three elements are there? What's one element? The what? Meat, right? We get the lamb. We get, what else? Bread, okay? We get the unleavened bread. You can't, it's, it's a haste thing. You can't even wait for it to rise because they're, they're going to be taken out of Egypt. So you can't even wait for it to rise. So you have unleavened bread. You have a lamb. And what else do you have? There's another component. Blood, right? The blood is supposed to be painted on the doors. Now, this is what I was thinking about this week. There's three elements. They also have bitter herbs, but those are, those are roasting the lamb. There's three elements in the Old Testament. How many do we have at the table? We have two, right? What do we have? We got bread. Bread's over here. Bread's always on my left side. We got juice. We don't have wine. We have juice. All right? So we have bread and juice. We have two elements, but there's three at the Passover meal. Has anyone ever wondered about that? I did this week. Why do we only have two elements? Why don't we go to Jacob's holy place and get in and out burger that we can cut up for everybody to have a little bit of meat? I mean, I'm down. <laughs> we don't. In fact, I've never seen it in any worshiping community that I've ever been a part of. I've only seen bread and juice or bread and wine. But here's the thing. There are three elements at this table. There is the bread, reminding us of the unleavened bread of the Passover. There is the juice, reminding us of the blood. And there is the lamb at the table. Christ is present here. And when we come to the table, we're feasting upon the presence of Jesus Christ, which comes to us and says, Come. Eat. Eat of me. This is my flesh. Eat of it. And there will be enough. When we come to the table, even a New Testament table, there are three elements that God provides. One is spiritual. One is Christ's spirit saying, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come. And feast upon me. God sets the table for us. And there are three items on the menu for us to enjoy and for us to be blessed by. Now, let's keep reading. 
beginning of verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or goats. This is all instruction stuff. Make sure you, you know, you're doing this in the right way. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat meat roasted over a fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, all these things are those instructions that God is saying that this is, this is how you are to do this. Now, if we, did, if we were going to spend more time specifically in the Passover meal, there's lots of meaning here. It's deep with meaning. We're not doing that this morning. We may do it in the future. Who knows? But um, there's, there's lots of things here that are important. We're going to move through them um, this morning. And in verses 12, we hear this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. What we're reading here, we're reading here how God saves his people through the blood of of Jesus. We're hearing here how God gives instruction and he gives really the opportunity to engage in his event, in his activity, in his meal, and if you do so, then his action is one of salvation. Now, I want you to hear here what this is about. This is about this table It is about the table of Passover being a table that God hosts. He's the actor here. If you look especially at verses 12 and 13, look at how many times it uses the word I. I will pass over you. I will let you go. I will save you. I, I, I. God is the actor here and in the Passover, and God is the actor here at our table. He invites his people into his event. He's the one giving away to life. We can choose to come to the table, or we can choose to ignore his invitation. You can come and be a part of this. You have a choice this morning. I have a choice this morning. In a little while, the elders are going to come and they're going to distribute the elements to you. They're going to take it and they're going to hand the plate over here and she's going to pass it and they're going to pass it and the table's going to, or the, the plate is going to come right by you. And in the, ta- uh, the plate, there will be bread or there will be juice and you have a choice. Take your hand and reach in and grab it or not. There's a choice here. 
God offers it and he provides and he says, here it is and it's enough for you. Will you participate? When you and I take that bread and take that juice, it is much more of an action of choosing God's salvation than oftentimes we ever think. It becomes a road activity. Oh, bread. Okay, got it. Juice, got it. Put it in the little thing so I don't spill it because I'm afraid I'm going to stain my dress. We go through the motions oftentimes when God as host is saying to you, here I am. Do you want me? Do you want this? You can choose to reach out your hand or not. You can choose to engage in my salvation or not. Now, as Reformed Christians, we know Christ is present in us through his spirit. He's the actor moving us to be a part of communion. But for us, you here this morning, understand your brain, your heart, your mind. You could walk out of here right now. Or it can be a part of this. God's invitation to salvation. I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about um, sort of an image of you can choose to be a part of life or not. So I, I went back to uh, a good movie. I think it was in the 90s called Jurassic Park. Maybe you remember this movie. It was all, and there's new ones. And I don't, I don't watch the new ones. They, they're just shadows of the old one but the the first one was really great i loved it and in this movie if you know how it works they take dna from dinosaur resin or something like that and they make dinosaurs and all of a sudden you have brontosauruses you have velociraptors and you have a tyrannosaurus rex and this tyrannosaurus rex in the movie ends up um wrecking the whole thing because it's a great movie plot right you have the big bad dinosaur come and wreck everything and in the movie, he wrecks, and there's, there's two Ford Explorers that go on this little track, and they go through this park. And in the Ford Explorers are a couple people, including the owner of the park's grandchildren, one of them named Tim. And Tim is in this Ford Explorer. Remember that it was the old Ford Explorers before their tires blew up and everyone flipped over and all that stuff? These Ford Explorers go through the park and they stop at various places so you can see these really, really amazing, cool dinosaurs. But all of a sudden, the Tyrannosaurus decides to make the movie cool and destroy the stuff and beat up on the Ford Explorer with Tim and his sister and Dr. Allen inside. And this Tyrannosaurus takes and with his, with his jaw, or I think, yeah, it's with his jaw, pushes it off a cliff. That's right beside, which is a great way to put your road, is right beside a cliff, because it makes for a good movie. And the Ford Explorer goes off the cliff, and it lands in a tree with Tim inside of it. And it's in the top of a tree, and finally, Dr. Allen is able to get down to where the tree is, and he climbs up the tree, and he's reaching out to save Tim and get Tim out of the Ford Explorer. And Tim doesn't want to come out. Why? Because Tim just barfed. This whole thing was so scary and so terrifying that he vomited in the Ford Explorer. And he just wants to stay there because he's so scared. And Dr. Hound says, Tim, come on. Come. Take my hand. We need to get out of here. Because if we stay here, we're going to die. 
And of course, it's a great movie plot because they get out of the Ford Explorer, they climb down the tree, and as they're climbing down the tree, a branch breaks and the Ford Explorer comes down further and further and further, going to crush them. I don't ever know why they don't go to the other side of the tree and the Ford Explorer can go down, but that wouldn't make for a great movie, and I'm not a film director. So they go down to the bottom and they get into the roots of the tree and they're safe because Tim reaches out his hand and says, okay. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me. Come to my life, to my salvation. You're going to get stuck here. You're going to get stuck in this brokenness and in this death. I give you a way to life. It's simple juice. It's simple bread. But it's me. And it's enough. This is enough. But you have to. You have to reach out your hand. Respond to my action. Respond to my invitation. I'm here. Are you going to participate? Come to me because I accept you just as you are. Let's keep reading. Verse 14 it says this. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now you can keep reading there all the way through the end of verse 22 and it actually affirms how this happens and what they do and at the end you hear it again, the refrain, celebrate this again in generations to come. Be reminded be, of, of God's salvation at the Passover because God absolutely loves Celebrating his love for you, his people. He loves this. He loves when you and I participate because this is an opportunity for us to do what is right on the front of this table here. This do in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done so that you might have life. Remember what I have done to give you a way to salvation. Remember what I have done in Jesus, on the cross, in his suffering, all the stuff that we celebrated last week. Remember that, because when you remember that, you remember just how much I love you, just how much I adore you. I adore you so much, I'll give you my body. I adore you so much, I will give you my blood. I adore you so much, I will give you myself. Receive me. Come. Receive me. And then, let's do that again. Be reminded again of how much I love you. He loves celebrating this. And you know what else he loves? That this is only a foreshadow. This is only the beginning. When we do this, we catch just a slimmer of a percentage of a shadow, of a mist, of a glimpse of what this will be in the future when Christ comes again. When we experience Christ's presence, I had someone say to me after the Good Friday service, I experienced communion in a way I've never experienced it before. It was such a blessing. As good as that might have been for that person, that is just a little small touch of what it will be when Christ returns. 
When we celebrate this again and again and experience Christ's presence here at the table, we are just starting to understand the gift that he gives us for all eternity when we feast in his presence and experience that joy forever. I was thinking about the sort of event that I want to be a part of over and over again. I was thinking about the best wedding reception that Kristen and I have ever been to. We've been to a couple really good ones. We've been a couple to a couple Debbie Downers, you know, where the food is bad and you don't really like the people who are getting married, but you got to go anyway. And you don't like the people you're sitting with, but you got to be happy and smile and stuff like that. So next time you're at my wedding or you're at a wedding with me, no, I'm judging you the entire time whether or not this is going to be a good wedding or not. So you go to this wedding or you go to a wedding and you sort of, yeah, is this fun or is this not fun? And we were at a wedding, and this wedding was in the hills. And it, because it was in the hills, this wedding reception place was spread out through a lot of different sort of little seating areas. There was the seating area where the bride and the groom sat. It was at the top of sort of this little hill. And this is where the people that they really liked and loved and cared about who could sit close to them and celebrate their wedding and hearing all this stuff and participating in all the stuff. And that was, that was the wedding reception really itself. Then there were the people over here who they sort of invited, we think, because they thought they would get a good gift and they wanted to make sure that they were there. So they invited them and they were sitting in this area. And then there were the people that they really didn't care about, but they sort of felt like they should come. So they sent an invitation hoping they would say no. And they all sat down in this area and that was where we were. And we're in this spot down here. And it's about 75 yards away from where all this stuff is happening. And they have speakers that we are supposedly able to hear, but we can basically only hear the music. We can't hear any any of the activities. We're like looking up and they're like, hey, they're cutting the cake. Oh, we didn't know that. Well, uh, that means they're bringing cake soon. Hey, they're doing this. Oh, that's pretty cool, but we didn't know anything about it. We're just having a blast with all the people who are in the also-ran table. We're, We're laughing. We're telling stories. We can hear enough music to dance and be goofy and crazy. That was like one of the best wedding receptions that we'd ever been a part of. It was, it was the sort of thing that I, even I look back and who sat at our table and what we talked about and what we did and how much we laughed together. I want that again. I want more of that sort of celebration. It doesn't hold a candle to this. It doesn't hold a candle to what is to come. The greatest party that you and I can ever be a part of. The kind of thing that when we wake up the next day, the next month, the next year, we look back on it and say, wow, that was amazing. Doesn't even hold a candle to this because this is about Christ's powerful, saving, redeeming, loving, graceful presence. And he offers it to us to celebrate over and over again, reminding us that someday it will be what you know always. You will know my presence. You will know this feast forever and ever. Come. You want to be a part of that one? Come. Be a part of this one here now. I'm inviting you.
place is set. There's an empty chair. Come. Just as you are, come. Let's pray together. You've given us your presence, O God, at the table and the three elements you offer to us. You offer us the bread, the bread of your body. You offer us the juice, the juice of your blood. You offer us yourself, salvation for our sins. Lord, may we respond to your invitation with our hearts saying, we want to be a part of that party. We want to be a part of this. We, yes, Lord, will come. Yes, we will feast. And someday, Lord, we will feast with you forever. In Christ we pray, amen. table with Christ, with God as our host. And I've said it, I've been thinking it a lot the last little while, that if someone you know doesn't know God, doesn't know Christ, and you want them to know God more, the best place for you to send them is here. This is the table that offers salvation. Body and blood. Jesus is here. If you are here and you're wondering about who this Jesus is, if you are wondering about who this God is, if you are longing for more than what you have, come feast. Christ is present. Receive him. He's offered. You're invited. Trey's going to come. And in that reflection in that thought, in that action of reaching in, getting the bread and getting the juice, you are responding to Christ's invitation. and You are a part of his presence. I want to talk to you more about it. I want you to learn more and understand, but respond. The invitation is given. Come and be a part of this. I want to welcome the elders forward.